Okay, we're continuing. Uh, we ought to look at the Rambam. We ought to look at the Rambam. The Rambam is in the sheet. The sheet that you have before you with all those little Hebrew words on it, that's the Rambam. Where he tells you how the Seder should be run. This whole parak is about the Seder. So if you look in, in, uh, in Halakha Zayin, uh, Halakha Chet, in every generation. Now I told you already that everything in the Rambam, uh, not everything, almost everything in the Rambam is also in the Mishnah and in the early Haggadot that we know about. The Rambam himself included his Haggadah in the uh, Yad right? If you look after Chametz and Matzah, the laws of Chametz and Matzah, after that, there's something called Haggadah, Shel Haramam, the actual Haggadah that he used, uh, that he had, which is very similar, in fact, to the Haggadah that we use, except, I told you, except for Nir You know those songs that we sing at the end of the Seder? There are people who go to the Seder only to sing those songs, but the Rambam was not one of them. <laughs> it did not, it did not appear for the Rambam. This was added on in later generations when apparently, uh, people were trying to stay up late, you know, very hard, like the, the, the Jews like to beat the odds. What are the odds that if you drink four large cups of wine, you'll be able to stay up very late? The odds are very small. Nevertheless, we try. The way we try is singing Chad Gadya. Chad Gadya, as you know, is a mindless poem. In other words, you could be drunk and sing Chad Gadya because it doesn't mean anything different to the drunks and to the sobers. So it's, it's fine. So the Rambam says, this unbelievable comment, which is found in the Mishnah, found in the earlier Agadot, <coughs> the early Haggadot of the Gaonim, the period of the Gaonim. It's important to sort of like generally recognize that there's a literary history that the Jewish people have created, right? And that literary history is generally about Talmud. Like, what does it say in the Gemara? How are we going to do what it says in the Gemara? So the earliest Haggadot that we have come from the period of the Gaonim. The Gaonim roughly came after the Amoraim. Now Rav Shira Gaon, one of the Gaonim who wrote a history of literature, of Jewish literature, said that in between the Rishonim and the Gaonim were the Saboraim. It's not perfectly clear who they were or what they did. But uh, we have to trust Rav Shira Gaon. He was right around the corner. He knew that they were there. They, they, they finished off the Gemara somehow. You know, even after the Gemara was kind of fixed. How this happened is very hard for me to understand, but it did happen. Suddenly there was a Gemara. When was there a Gemara? When people stopped writing in the Gemara, but wrote on the side of the Gemara. You, you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not being uh, confusing, I hope. What? Yes, yeah, something like that. <laughs> I'm the wrong age. I don't know what that is. I don't know what this is. 
the, the, the point is that, you know, you have this oral tradition that is being written down and written down and every generation they add to it and they restate it and they rework it and then something ends. So we even have a tradition in the Gemara that, uh, that, uh, Ravina and Ravachi are Sothora'a, which we take to mean that somehow they're the end of the Gemara. What do you mean the end of the Gemara? The end of internal adding to the Gemara. And everything started to be external. So who the Sabora'im were, I know this is not relevant to our topic yet, but it's, it is interesting. The Sabora'im, who according to Rav Shirag Gaon, came in between the Amora'im and the Gaonim, Gaonim being a general name for the Rashi Shiva in Bavel. Right in the great, in the great uh, uh, Babylonian academies, Sura Pupadisa, Batavachasya. These are places where they had big yeshivot in Bavel, and the Rosh Yeshiva was called the Gaon. And the period of time when the center of learning were, was in the Babylonian academies, and the Rosh Yeshiva were called Gaonim, we call that the period of the Gaonim. Right, not every one who lived was a Gaon, but none of them wrote in the Gemara. Everything they wrote was collected in books outside of the Gemara, like Shailot and Chuvot and Perushim. Right, so somehow, how does this happen? How does that happen? Take a simpler example with the Mishnah. Everybody knows that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, he kind of said, this is the Mishnah, nothing else, no more. Now how did he do that? How did he convince the Jews all over Eretz Yisrael that no one should add a, a line to the Mishnah that he uh, that he created? He didn't create it. I mean, it was created before, but he kind of authorized it, authenticated it. I mean, he did something. He did something which said, no more Mishnah, and then from then on, everybody wrote Gemara. I mean, how did he do that? I mean, how, you know, after Rabbi Yudha Nasi, in those days, it was, there was no communication like there is today. You know, you couldn't telephone, you couldn't send out an edict, you couldn't. Somehow they did it. So here we go. The Tosefta was after uh, the Mishnah? The Tosefta, well, I have two answers to that question, like most questions of that kind. One, I don't know. But second, I can tell you, I'll, I'll, now I'll answer the question. That, uh, that at the same time that the Mishnah was being compiled, there were a lot of Tanitic material that was not included. There's just too much of it. So whenever there were similar Mishnayot, generally one went into the Mishnah, and the other one was outside. A Brita. It was outside. Now those Brita's, that Tanitic material that's outside of the Mishnah, was subsequently collected again by Rav Chia and Rav Oshia, Talmidim of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, who created something that looks very like the Mishnah, but it's not exactly the same, you know, it's different. And that's called the Tosefta. We call it the Tosefta. And we claim that the editing was done by Rav Chia and Rav Oshia, who at the same time are Talmidim of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. I guess that once Rabbi Huda Nasi somehow did it for the Mishnah, it was easier for Rabbi Rabbi Chir Rabbi Oshia to do it for the 
breast, which was called later on the Tosefta. And then there are brightot. A brighta is uncollected Tanaitic material. It just floated around in the minds of the students of Torah. They knew these brightot. So every time in the, uh, in the Gemara it says Tashma or Meitve or some kind of introduction to new Tanaitic material, that doesn't mean that uh, that doesn't mean that <coughs> that that uh, is collected someplace. It's it, it it's just in the heads of the people who wrote the Gemara. The Amoraim, the Amoraim remembered this Tanaitic material. They pull it out. They use it. But sometimes you'll find it in another Mishnah, in another Tosefta. But sometimes you won't. Most of it, you won't. It'll just be, you know, located in the memories of the Talmidei Chachamim who lived in that generation. Right? Now, why some were collected and some were not collected? I mean, you know, you could... That's called a doctoral thesis. When you want to, like, nitpick about something. Who? Nirza. Well, you have to look at your paper. As no, no, no. But Nirza, I didn't mean to say anything about Nirza. Nirza, just since the the the, um, the Haggadah theoretically was not that kind of a book, a book that had a limit or, or ended. It could add, it could add it to it endlessly. But what happened in time, you know, we didn't think of printing. When we did, when we started doing this thing with the Haggadot, in uh, the beginning, Haggadot could be expanded; they could be added to. They would always, uh, but when printing was came into uh, into the world, so suddenly a tremendous number of Jews had the same Haggadot, and therefore they were loath to add because look, this wonderful thing happened. Everybody had the same Haggadot. However, however, they were willing to append, which is not exactly the same as adding. You know, so Nirza is appended to the Haggadah. comes at the end. Everything's finished. All the mitzvot are finished. All the sipu yisiyat mitzrayim is finished. Everything is finished. All you have to do is decide what melody you're going to sing Echad Miyodea to. I mean, that's the only thing that's left. But that's nothing to do with the mitzvah, would not really have anything to do with the mitzvah of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. So here I want to tell you what the Rambam says. The Rambam says, in <coughs> Al-Ghazai, he told me, Shalom, Amash, Atzlicha, Chet, Bechol Dov Ador, Chayav Adam, Lerot, Etatzmo, Kiiluhu, Batzmo, Yatsa, Atam, Yishibu, Mitzrayim. Now this is a difficult line. That besides telling the story, besides reading the words, besides doing whatever it says in the Haggadah, you have to feel as though you left Mitzrayim. How do you feel that? How could everybody feel today, you know, leave Mitzrayim? You think where the people sit down at the Seder today, they take out the crystal glassware and the, the, the Rosenthal China and the, whatever else I have to remember. And the Norataki bowls. I mean, uh, uh, that's how they felt when they left Mitzrayim. Do you imagine that? The people were running out of Mitzrayim and say, just a second, I forgot my... My, my glassware, I have a box. No. So, how do you do this? What is the Rambam talking about? 
ועל דבר זה ציווה בתורה, כלומר, כאילו אתה בעצמך היית עבד. That somehow it's found in the Torah itself that the trick of the Pesach, of the Seder, is to convert it <coughs> into your personal Yitziat Mitzrayim. You're participating. It seems to me to be a difficult, a difficult thing to achieve. And then he says, right? You yourself were a slave. You went out to freedom and you were redeemed. You, you sitting here, the people sitting here in this room, they are the ones who left Mitzrayim. That's silly, isn't it? We didn't leave Mitzrayim. That we do on Pesach, which are very important for this idea of Bechol The two things that we do that help us to get to this state of affairs. One is Hatzibah. That we lean when we eat, and we'll talk about that in a minute. The other, the other thing that uh, that is to call echad veechad bein anashim, bein anashim chayim l'shtod balayla azar b'kosot shel yayin ain pachot miem. That every single person has to drink four cups of wine. In fact, you know the halacha is that we, the people who have have, had to make sure that the people who don't have have enough, have the wherewithal. To drink these four cups of wine. What's so important about these four cups of wine? Okay, I understand. Rich people drink wine. Poor people drink water. I understand. But why is it so important? Why is it so important? Because it's part of the mitzvah of Bechol Dorvador. And even today, even today I would say we're leaning during eating is something that nobody does. That may be that in the Roman times, you know, you may, uh, those of you interested in the history of eating, you know, everything is a, everything is a mixoa, you know, anything can, there is a history of eating, so you know that the Romans used to eat on couches, they had this thing about how could you eat more, like, like they liked to eat, so they would try to figure out ways where you could eat even if you were stuffed, so they had different ideas about that, right, one was that they would vomit the food that they just ate, Unpleasant as that may sound, and then keep eating. You imagine, you imagine. It's hard to hard for us to imagine. Another thing is they would do it sitting on couches, which you know, if your body is bent like this, so I guess it's harder for the food to to find the place to get in. But if you're like lying down while you're eating, you could stuparain a, a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So lying down. Lying down at a certain period of history was synonymous, was synonymous with being like free. All those rich people with those couches, with the little slaves running around and giving them grapes, you know, hanging the grapes down so they wouldn't have to pick it up with their own hands. All of those people were considered to be free. Chayrut, <coughs> that was what Chayrut was. So even though, <coughs> even though it doesn't exist today, if it doesn't exist there, the halacha nevertheless is that when you do any of the mitzvot of the night of the Seder, you drink the wine, you eat the matzah, right? the mitzvot, you tell the story, you have to do it, you make a bracha, you have to do it while leading. Now why do you have to do it today while leading? I think because the reason is the same. It's true that the leading does not engender the feeling today. I think that that's true. I find it personally a little bit annoying 
my, my, my children, they should be blessed, bring me pillows, because they realize that I'm, I don't feel annoyed enough yet. So they bring me a pillow. You try to eat a chair with a pillow, it doesn't work, right? But it does remind you of what you're supposed to be feeling and thinking. It doesn't do it for you, but it reminds you of it. And therefore, you have to understand that the halacha, the halacha is that you have to do b'haseba. You have to do all the mitzvot b'haseba. You drink the wine, it has to be leaning, right? You say, then you say the bracha, and then you lean, and then you drink the wine. Same thing is true about the matzah. The same thing is true about the korech. Every, every time you do a mitzvah on the night of the seder, you have to do b'haseba. Besides that, you have to drink four cups of wine. You have to drink four cups of wine. Now you know that the halacha is that four cups of wine, four cups of wine, on each cup of wine we make a bracha. Right, you remember? It was a little less than a year ago, the last time you did it. You have to make a bracha on each cup of wine. What does that mean? That each cup of wine stands alone. Because if it didn't stand alone, you wouldn't have to make a bracha. Every cup of wine. After all, all the bottles of wine that you're going to use for the seder are all standing on the table, aren't they? Right, so that means that we make bracha number one. You've seen all that wine sitting on the table, so it should be included in bracha number one. But no, we say, every time we drink a cup of wine, we make a bracha. The Gemara, they ask the question, the beginning of Rabbi Psachim, the Gemara asks the question, what if I drank all the four cups at once? Like I had a giant uh, goblet left to me by my Viking ancestors. I had a goblet, I just drinking down the whole a whole uh, two liters of wine at one time. So what would be? So the Gemara says, too bad, no good. You didn't get more than one cup out of those two liters. And when you get to the next bracha, alayayin, you have to do it over again and drink the wine again. So that the idea of four cups of wine is not a quantity of wine, but it is that there are four ideas represented in this quantity of, of, uh, of wine. And these four, four ideas, these four ideas, the Chazal say, parallel the Arba Lishonot Shel Gu'ula, the four verbs in the Torah that represent, that represent Gu'ula, the, uh, the, 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 the redemption of Am Yisrael, from Mitzrayim. So that behold Dorvador, we're obliged to see ourselves as though we left Mitzrayim, and the Chachamim instituted two mitzvot, two mitzvot de Rabbanan, which help us to achieve this kind of thinking. One is called Asebo, that's the leaning, and the other is called Arba, <coughs> the other is called Arba Kosot. Now there's one thing that before we try to explain these two mitzvot a little bit further, I want to, uh, uh, the Rambam then goes on and talks about all of the different kosot, and then, and then at the end, at the end, you know that at the end of the, uh, at the end of the say, it was the end of the Magid, we start saying Hallel. You know about Hallel? Just one second.
And the Rabbim says in Halacha Yudbet, he says, Kol kos v'kos v'yavakosot ha'elu b'varech alav bracha b'chbe'atzma. That you have to make a separate bracha on each, each of the kosot that you, uh, that you drink. Okay. The Rambam says, at the end of Magid, you know, at the end of Magid we start saying Hallel. Hallel. Right, you know the Hallel is a number of chapters from Tehillim, consecutive chapters in Tehillim. The first two chapters, hallelujah, the first one begins with that word, the second one begins, B'tzayt Yisrael Mimitzrayim. We start saying that, uh, uh, that part of Hallel, when we finish the Magid, when we finish telling the story. Right? We finish the Hallel after we eat. So there are two things different about the Hallel that we say at the Seder, than the halal we say during the rest of the year. Rest of the year, we say halal on, on Hanukkah, we say halal on Sukkot, the rest of the year we say halal. There's a bracha at the beginning and a bracha at the end indicating that chazal, they're like brackets, the chazal have determined that this is what halal is. All of these chapters, there's a beginning, a bracha at the beginning and a bracha at the end. And you say the whole thing at one time. You don't say half of it in the morning and half of it in the evening. Right, or in modern times, you say halal on Yom Ha'atzmaut, you say halal, right? The bracketed by the, by the brachot, if, if you, if you say the brachot. But there's no such thing as saying halal half and then another half. There's no such, there's no such thing. <coughs> Furthermore, in Shul, right, this year, it's Friday night, right? When it, Friday night is, is by in Shul. After Shemona Ezrei, we say Hallel. At night, we say Hallel. And this time, when we say it in Shul, we say regular Hallel. We say a bracha before it, we say a bracha after it, and we say all the chapters of the Tehillim that are <coughs> relevant, we say in between. In between these two statements, so that we don't understand. We don't understand so much. Like, what are we doing in the Haggadah? I mean, why should we say Hallel split into two? And why, why shouldn't we make brachot on that? And if we've already said halal in shul, why should we say halal over again in, in the Haggadah? Now you could say, uh, some might say that there was a long time that Marev, saying Marev was not yet really an acceptable institution. The people, in other words, the way the Rambam says it, the way the Rambam says it, the people were obligated to daven twice a day. Shacharit and Mincha. And Ma'ariv was optional. Some people did it, some people did, didn't. Eventually, all of the men, and this is the, might be a differentiating factor between the Kabbalot HaMitzvah, Kabbalat HaMitzvah of men, and Kabbalat HaMitzvah of women. That originally, you had to daven Shachrit and Mincha. I'm talking about Shmona Esrei, right? I'm talking about davening Shmona Esrei, Shachrit, and Mincha. Um, Eventually, eventually people started, eventually people also daven Mara, but it wasn't obligatory. And then somehow it became obligatory. The men accepted the obligation to daven Mariv. Maybe because they went to shul, maybe because they were there at that time. I, I don't know. 
But women apparently did not accept that uh, obligation. So today, if you'd ask me, <coughs> I would say that women, as men, should certainly daven shachris and mincha. That's a, that's a broad-based, general kind of obligation. But ma'ariv, they can choose to daven. Of course, you can always daven. But it's not obligatory for women to daven ma'ariv, at least according to the Ramam, because they didn't accept that obligation whenever it was accepted by, B'nai, by, by the, the Jews. So now you have a situation where the night of, of Pesach, we say Hallel twice, once regular and once highly irregular. And the Haggadah says, Lefikach, that's the key word. Therefore, the word therefore comes after the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, you tell the story. And we now know that the story of Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim is supposed to produce so it would seem, and this is what Rav Gaon intimates, quoted by the Ran at the end of Psachim, it seems that we say Hallel twice on the night of Pesach because there are two things to say Hallel about. The first Hallel, which is regular, the kind of Hallel we say in Hanukkah, we know Hanukkah, something wonderful happened and God showed his appreciation of our efforts and we appreciated the efforts of heaven. I mean, Hanukkah, so we say Hallel. Hallel means that we're overwhelmingly happy and we express that joy. <coughs> the Shevach, the praise of God for doing what he did, that's Hanukkah. That's Sukkot. And that's Pesach in Shul. That's Pesach in Shul. But, you know, the Haggadah is that now we understand that the Haggadah is not simply a retelling of something. It's not just about what happened then. And as far as what happened then is concerned, we already said Hallel. We knew when we went to Shul, we knew what Pesach was about. We're not being fooled. We're not trying to make believe we don't know what Pesach is and then tell ourselves a story that we all know. It's not like that. It's not like that. We tell the story of Pesach, of Pesach then, of the Amalek of Pesach, the Pesach that took place then, even though we know the story, because as the Haggadah itself tells us, insights are endless. There's no way, there's no way that a serious student will not find something new in the story of Pesach. It's like, <coughs> it's like why do you read the parasha every week? Why do we read the Torah every week? Because I ensure that I'm learning the Torah. I mean, every year I learn through the Torah. I learn it with Rasha, I learn it with the Targum, I learn however I learn it. It's always insightful. I mean, everybody would agree to that. I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't do it, but the people who do it feel that they're saying something, that there's something going on. It's not just, it's not just the Bayrot, that I'm singing some kind of chant, other uh, uh, I think most people feel that they can find interest in the Parashat HaShavua and finding something interesting about the Parashat HaShavua it means just that, it means I'm explaining it, I'm saying something about it I'm adding something that I never thought of before once a year <coughs> it's a cinch right? it's, it's the easiest thing in the world but there's another story 
that I'm supposed to tell on the night of Pesach. And that other story is me. Me. I'm going through this act of salvation. I'm being taken out of Mitzrayim. It's happening to me. So if it's happening to me, I also want to say Hallel. I want to say Hallel. But the, the, the people who put together the, uh, the Haggadah, we don't know who they were, but they were serious people. They said, look, we don't want you to get confused in terms of the Kiyum HaMitzvah, what the Mitzvah that you're doing is. In Shul, you're doing the regular Mitzvah of Hallel. Regular. Meaning that <coughs> you can compare it to the other times of the year when you say Hallel, about a, an event that took place in the past. Past historical event. But in the Seder itself, there's a new event that is taking place. <coughs> there's something new that's happening. You are being freezed, freed. You are changing. You are becoming, <coughs> you are becoming what you are supposed to be. And if you do that, if you accomplish it, then you have that word, the fikah. <laughs> You have a new obligation to say Hallel. You thank God for creating within me the awareness of my connection, my connection today. Behold over door to the to the event of Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's not Yitziat Mitzrayim. It's not Yitziat Mitzrayim that they had. Oh, I, I, that's also important, certainly important. I'll talk about it, I'll explain it, I'll, I'll, I'll refer to it. That's Yitziat Mitzrayim. But behold, Ovador, there's another Yitziat Mitzrayim. And so the Maral Miprag, the Maral Miprag, who was a great expositor of non halachic Talmudic material, had a system and, and he explained tremendous amounts of Torah. Material, so the Maral Mikrag says, you know, you can you can touch the essence of a person, and you can touch the essence of a people, and the time that Am Yisrael achieved their essence, who they really are, was the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. In other words, they had to be enslaved in order that they might reach an understanding of freedom. Because when you say that you live in freedom, you might not even think about it. You might not, you know, be challenged by it. But the Jews who left Mitzrayim were being taught what freedom was. Cheiruteinu, that's what we say when we make it. It's about cheiruteinu, our freedom. But more than that, more than that they were looking at freedom they became freedom. They were the first nation that was freed. And they were the first nation because of that freedom that would be able to to uh, enslave themselves to God. You see, you can't be a slave if you don't know what freedom is. And you have to know the difference between slavery in Egypt and slavery at Har Sinai. There's a difference. And the only ones in the world who knew that difference, who understood it, were B'nai Yisrael. So the Maral says, the Maral says, when the, 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 the Haggadah demands of me, that's what Gilu Yatzavim Mitzrayim, 
It means that the Haggadah enables you to go through the process of Abdut L'Chayrut, L'Chayrut L'Abdut, right? That you go from slavery to freedom, and then the freedom becomes slavery to God, right? Enslaved to God. That process stuck within us. It's like it's in our DNA someplace. It's not always obvious. You know, you've got to kind of encourage it. You've got to stimulate it. You've got to be able to understand that you are the possessor of these qualities that, that B'nai Yisrael achieved by Yitziat Mitzrayim. Maharal. I'm talking about the Maharal. And then the Maharal says, the Maharal says, so that's what happens at the Seder. What happens at the Seder is you're telling your story, but while you're telling the story, you realize that you're talking about yourself. And when you realize that you're talking about yourself, you feel this tremendous feeling of, of joy, which then brings you to say Hallel, which brings you to say Hallel in the, in the Seder. That's what, that's what the, uh, the Maharal says. But then the Maharal, who is not, you know, uh, willing to give up without a fight, he said, there are those people who stupidly, he uses that word, not my word, who stupidly say, well, what, what kind of freedom? Why are we having freedom? We're all living in, in the diaspora in some country that has dukes and kings and, and all kinds of people who make arbitrary laws. Some are good for the Jews, many are bad for the Jews. I look at Jewish history, how, how difficult everything is. And so how can we say that we are? So the, the Bairau says, you know, it's almost modern, almost like, it's almost scientific where he says it. He says, you know, there are essential qualities that people have and there are accidental qualities that they have. Essential qualities are the description of their makeup. Like if you could pull them apart and find all the chromosomes and like label those chromosomes, you'd find chayrut, malchut, kingship, freedom. Those are the essential qualities of the Jew according to the Maral Mitran. Whereas subjugation and slavery throughout history, these are accidental. They, they, they're not determined, they're not permanent, they're not predetermined by God, they're not essentially who we are. They're not who we are. Who are we? We're Chayrut. Freedom. We are <coughs> we are Avdut Lakorish Borch, right? Subjugating ourselves to the will of God. That's who we are. So anybody who thinks Anybody who thinks that uh, that uh, the world represents the truth and that there is no essential difference between Am Yisrael and the rest of the world is obviously mistaken. And what happens at the Seder, what is supposed to happen at the Seder, the Chol everybody is supposed to somehow be so involved with this idea that they start to see it within themselves. And that's why, that's why, even the poor people... <coughs> the poor people have to lean the poor people have to get the four cups of wine what are you doing with the poor cups of wine what are the poor people going to say oh my, my life is so miserable I don't have anything nothing works out for me what am I going to do I mean, how am I going to be behold on my door because you see the Baral says every person in themselves has to differentiate essential qualities from accidental qualities it's true that in the world, not everybody has the great deal. Not everybody is seems to be protected by this uh, by this DNA distinction. However, it's there. It's there. And if the poor people drink the four cups of wine, the poor people will 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 lean. They will also be impressed by what they have within themselves. 
who they really are as part of Am Yisrael. There are different identities that people have. I'm an individual, but I'm also part of a group. And that group is part of a larger group. And that larger group is called Am Yisrael. And that nation of Israel has qualities. And even though today, fortunately or unfortunately, I think unfortunately, but I can understand, you know, unfortunately, uh, people emphasize the distinctions between Jews and do not emphasize the commonality between them. I mean, it only takes great tragedy for Jews to kind of overlook their differences. But that is not what the Maharal would like. The Maharal would like us to understand that there are problems that we have, each of us as individuals, and there are problems that we have as being members of a small group. But at the end of the day, we are Am Yisrael, and that that has certain certain advantages. We we we've achieved certain qualities <coughs> that have to be that have to be respected. The other thing I wanted to mention was the the position of Rabbi Yaakov Melisa. Rabbi Yaakov Melisa wrote a parish on a parish. You know, Jews can't ever let well enough alone. A great parish was written on the Choshen Mishpat, right? The uh, the part of the Shulchan Aruch that deals with damages, monetary considerations, torts, right? Things things like of that kind. By uh, by, uh, the book was called Ktsot Hachoshen, right? The edge of the Choshen Mishpat, the Ktsot Hachoshen, and and uh, Rav Yaakov and Lisa, whose name is Lorbabam, Yaakov Lorbabam from the city of Lisa, disagreed with many of the statements that the Ketzot HaChoshen said. Why am I mentioning this? Because generally what is considered to be in modern times, Lomdus. Lomdus is uh, the way people say the method of learning Gemara in Yeshivas is called Lomdus today. Even though it's not so easy to define, but many people say Many people say that it was the Ketzot and the Nitivot. Rabbi Yaakov Miglisa wrote a parish called Nitivot in which he disagrees with the Ketzot on many points. So Rabbi Yaakov Miglisa was a great scholar and knew the Torah, uh, I guess, inside and out or backwards and forwards or any way you like to say it. And he wrote a commentary on the, on the Haggadah. I guess he had a few minutes in between this and that, so he, he wrote a, a commentary on the Haggadah, which uh, in recent, recent years has been widely disseminated. It means it's available. You can, you can get it. So he said, he said this, you know, the four Chazal say that the four cups of wine are parallel to the four Lishonot of Geulah. The four Lishonot of Geulah, the four verbs that are used in the Torah to describe redemption. Votsaiti, Vitsalti, Vigaalti, Vilakhti. Right? Votsaiti, Vitsalti, Vilakhti, Vigaalti. So the Rabbi Yaakov at Lisa said, and it rushes that. You compare cups of wine to verbs? I mean, why would anybody do that? Absolutely happy about that? About drinking wine? It like makes me a little lightheaded. So I, do I feel redeemed? So he says this. He says this, you have to understand, that actually the Jews were saved six months before the Exodus. In, in other words, Pyro stopped oppressing them 
where the makot started. You know, that was it was just too much to keep up the pressure of the Jews' slaves. So they essentially were saved six months before they left. So the first thing is where what was the first word? Vitsalti. So it's backwards. But it's first there was Itsalti and then there was Hotsaiti. So the first thing I learned, the first thing I learned when I looked carefully at the Arba Kosot, according to Rabbi Yaakov and Lisa, is there's a difference between not being oppressed and being redeemed. It's not the same thing. And that there had to be this hiatus between the Egyptians not oppressing the Jews and the Jews leaving and the Jews leaving Mitzrayim. had to be this <coughs> because the Jews had to understand that they're not leaving Mitzrayim in order to ward off the oppressor. In order to run away from the pain of oppression. But they were leaving Mitzrayim to gain something else. Because the pain of oppression had already gone. So that's the first thing that I learned. I learned that, and, and he doesn't say this, but I can say, you know, it's like on Purim you drink in order to be like different. You're not the same person. Everything comes out, even things that shouldn't come out sometimes. So that's the same thing happening in Siad Mitzrayim. First of all, first they were, they were saved. But then they were redeemed. And that's not the same thing. And then he says, Vilakakti. What is Vilakakti? Sorry, does he explain why the order is? No, no, it doesn't explain. If he did, I would tell you. But it's not there. Then he says, that's for you. Vilakakti. Lakakti, what's Lakakti? Lakakti is to be married. Because that's Har Sinai. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu and B'nai Yisrael... Uh, <coughs> 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 and that's what the Gula is. Because B'nai Yisrael had lost their ability in Mitzrayim to unify with God, to be part of. You know, the Chazal say that they cried and they screamed. They had no words. They couldn't say anything. They didn't. They didn't have faith. They didn't trust. They lost their trust because they were so involved in in the moment in the slavery of the moment. So they had to regain that in order to receive the Torah. This was not a technical thing only. They had to just get the Har Sinai. But in order to receive the Torah, they had to be worthy of the Torah. This is also the Maral says. God could only give the Torah to a repository, but to a place that existed that was capable of accepting the Torah. Right, it's like somebody would give me uh, the translation of the Maral of the Chinese. He would be giving. He wouldn't be giving me anything. Maybe a bookmark or a paperweight or something. But you know, you know what I mean. If you, if you don't know what you're getting, you didn't get anything. You didn't get anything. So the Maral says. The Maral said, B'nai Yisrael had to become a repository for the Torah. That had to be the proper place for the Torah. So you know, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down for Har Sinai. The first time, after 40 days, and he saw what was going on in the Machadan, they built the golden calf. What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He broke the Luchot, right? He smashed them. So you say, why? I mean, the Luchot. I mean, imagine Moshe Rabbeinu, he's got these Luchot written by God. And he goes, he smashes them. I wouldn't smash them. 
I put them away someplace. I put them on a ledge. I tied them. He said, what do you mean? Why did he smash the, why did he smash the luchot? He smashed the luchot because there was no place to put them. Because the original intention was that the luchot should be given to Bnei Yisrael and suddenly Bnei Yisrael disappeared. So there was no place to put them. And it's interesting too as a sidelight that the second time Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Sinai to receive the luchot the second time, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, build an ark. Mm. Build an ark. We're not going to trust Bnei Yisrael this time around. There's going to be a place. There's got to be a place to put a place to put the Aserita Hadibrot. So that, uh, according to the Rav Yaakov Elisa, or the Rav Yaakov Elisa, his name is Lobabam, a very famous, uh, a lot of Lobabams around today. <coughs> according to Rav Yaakov Elisa, we drink the four cups of wine, not only because that's what rich people do, or that's what people feel themselves are redeemed. That's not the only the, uh, the reason that we do it, but in fact, in fact, we, we, uh, in fact, we, we, we understand that there's a meaning to it, that the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, that the story I'm telling about Yitziat Mitzrayim continues in the four cups of wine that I drink, and I have to understand that the four cups of wine, parallel to the Amal Shel Geulah, teach me very important things about Geulah. And so the Maharal says, the Maharal says, don't be stupid enough to think that God has kind of uh, left us all to, uh, to some kind of hefkerut, some lack of clarity, some lack of, of design. But in fact, when it comes to Am Yisrael, the future is clear. The Rambam, you know, said that not every individual person is worthy of God's special uh, concern. But Am Yisrael is certainly worthy of divine concern. And so the story, we've learned a few things about the story that we say on Seder night. <coughs> the important things that we've talked about today are the fact that the Seder, the Seder, at the Seder we tell these two stories. We tell the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, and we tell the story of my connection to Yitziat Mitzrayim. And these stories are two different stories that are told on the night of the Seder. And the second story is the reason for the Hallel that we say, which is differentiated from the regular normative Hallel that we say in Shul the same night and on other Yamim Miuchadim uh, during the year. Why don't we split it up? What? Why don't we split it? Why do we split it? So we should know that it's not regular. Just, it's something special about it. We also don't say the brachot. The brachot before halal and after halal. Except the end, we No, we don't say the brachot halal. We say, we add on shochenad. But there's no, not the bracha of... Uh, well, yeah. why, then, why then is the Chodmar Vadur in singular tense? Chayev Odov. And the fichach is in plural. It, I mean, according, it should be also in singular. Yeah, I mean, I'm prepared to listen to what you have to say. No, no, I mean, I'm... We, it, doesn't, it doesn't catch my attention. You know how it is, Parshanut. You explain things that you think you can explain and that catch your attention. 
Where does the where does that paragraph come from? Is it taken from somewhere? From the Mishnah. It's in the Mishnah. That was already written in in Rabin. Yeah, right, right, Rabbi Gamliel. But yet, so is Pachol right? That's also in the Mishnah. Is in the. It's in the Mishnah. Yeah, so it's interesting that they chose to write one of them. I, I, I just want to point out, since we, I mentioned Rabbi Gamliel, that Rabbi Gamliel said that besides the story, and the story, and the story, the three things are Pesach and Matzah and Maror. And, and, and certainly that means that you have to learn the Halachot. That, that telling the story, telling the story can be Torah. But the Torah is also Torah. You know, like whatever the Torah tells you, the Torah says, eat, some, eat a pizza matzah. So that's a story. That is a story, but it's also a halachic story. How much matzah, how big the matzah is, how do you get the matzah? The difference between the matzah shal mitzvah, what we call matzah shal mitzvah, and matzah that you might eat for the rest of the six days of, uh, of Pesach. All of that is part of the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim. Because you have to know what God wants of you. You have to know what God, so what, do you, what does that mean? To know? So uh, somebody says, oh, you have to eat a piece of matzah. He says, no, you have to eat the piece of matzah that God wants you to eat. Or as close to it as you could possibly come. And that's part of the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim, according to Rabbi Gamliel. In the Mishnah, the Sipur Yitziat Mitzrayim includes knowing what you're doing. Understanding what comes before something else, right? Even if it starts out as halachic material, so yes, it's true. I think that you have to be very nice to your uh, sons who come home for yeshiva with all this kind of annoying information. And it's, it's, uh, that's good. It's great. You know, it's great that everybody's looking for tweaking the seder, making it a little bit better, make it a little bit more authentic. I mean. Uh, it, don't worry, they all grow out of that. <laughs> but for the time being, it's not such a bad, it's not such a bad thing. Okay, I wish you chakoshu v'samech. I tell you again, I always tell you, that if you have a question, ask a rabbi. <laughs> we have a lot of rabbis in this country. And a lot of them know what they're talking about. And if you have a question about it, it's usually the questions are about comments. And not about Sipo Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, but, uh, but if you have a question about comments, ask it. And Sipo Yitzhiyat Mitzrayim, if you have a question, ask that also. All the best. Thank you.